Thank you, Peter, and good morning, everyone. Uh, we are continuing this series in Matthew's Gospel, and we are in um, Matthew chapter 13, the first of the readings uh, that Peter read for us. It's well worth having that open in front of you. If you've got a church Bible in front of you, it's page 1519, I think, in those Bibles, uh, Matthew 13. Um, uh, just a, a short passage, but it, wow, it packs a punch. Um, and I, I'm, I found this uh, both a huge encouragement this week, looking at this passage, but also uh, quite a challenge. And uh, I anticipate the same for, for us all. So I'm going to pray and ask for God's help as we look at it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we indeed, as we've just sung before, uh, want uh, the eyes of our hearts and our minds to be uh, set on you. Uh, so much in this world that can uh, uh, set our hearts elsewhere. Uh, so much to lead our hearts to be split in their affections. And yet we want to be a church that is wholehearted in our love for you. And so we pray, Father, as we open your word, that you would go to work in our hearts to set them aright for our good and for your glory. Amen. Uh, well, this February series that we're in, this is week three, is, is all about uh, thinking together about the who and the why of uh, this church, who we are, why we exist, what our purpose is. And we've been looking together so far in Matthew's Gospel at Matthew chapter 5 as Jesus seeing the crowds and seeing the huge need in this world draws aside his first disciples, the first church, and he declares the who and the why of the church to them. Uh, you remember it uh, from Matthew 5, you are the light of the world, he says. Uh, you are that because of the very great mercy of God in the Lord Jesus. You are the light of the world. And then uh, we saw last week the purpose that comes from that, which is a simple one, which is be who you are. Let the light shine. And so our goal as a church is uh, more and more to pursue that purpose, uh, to be a church uh, that is shining as a light here in Warunga and the surrounding suburbs. And we want to be passionate about that purpose because it's the purpose the King has given us and it's what our community needs from us. Uh, our goal is to be increasingly uh, letting the light shine. And so what we're going to do over this week and next week is to think about how we would do that, how we would increase uh, the lumens of the light uh, here uh, amongst ourselves as a church family and as we go about life in the community and uh, we saw at the end of last week, if you were here last week, and if you've missed the first few weeks, you can catch up on our, our website, on the sermons, or, or our YouTube channel. That's uh, a way to sort of catch up on the who and the why. We're moving now to the how. How do we do that? Well, at the end of last week, we saw the next thing that Jesus does in Matthew 5, is he says, it's quite simple. Obey the king. Obey the king. Obey his commands. And... Uh, in small groups, we'll be working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to see what pleases the King. We're going to see what it would look like to obey the King. But right near the end of Matthew's Gospel, we saw this last week, we've got, if you like, the Cliff's Notes version of that, uh, a simple summary of what it would look like to obey the King. Two things, and God has always had these two things for his people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. And so as we think about the how, that's what we're going to do over these next two weeks. Think about, firstly this week, what would it look like for us to grow in wholehearted love for God? Uh, that's how we be the light. Uh, that's how we grow in these things. And uh, I reckon this command from our God to grow in wholehearted love for him 
is going to both encourage our hearts and challenge our hearts. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this short passage in Matthew chapter 13. And if you like, the, the master heart surgeon, Jesus, is going to go to work on our hearts. And it's not going to take him very long because uh, he is a master surgeon. One verse is all it will take for him to find our hearts out and to redirect our hearts. Verse 44, and then really verse 45 and 46, he's just repeating itself again so that we don't miss the point. So let's look at it together. I hope you've got it open there in front of you. Matthew 13, verse 44, and we'll simply walk our way through this verse. And it starts like this, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, We've been thinking about this all the way through this series of being people who are part of God's kingdom. We live with Jesus as king. And so here we have that phrase again. And I think it's worth pausing as we think about it. He's about to describe what it's like to live there. Let's think for a moment what it means to be in the kingdom of heaven. And here it is in a nutshell. If you have come to place your faith in Christ Jesus, what's happened to you is you've changed postcodes. Uh, More than that, actually, you've changed citizenship. Uh, You are now a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That's your... Uh, that's your citizenship, that's where you belong. And, and it's not your place for a, a season of life, it's who you are now for life, in fact, forever. You have come into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, this, this is how Colossians chapter 1, another part of the New Testament, describes this sort of transition that's happened in our lives when we come to Jesus by faith. It says this, Colossians 1 verse 12, we give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of his holy people, the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In other words, if you've come to Jesus by faith, that transition, that rescue has happened. You've been taken from the kingdom of darkness, this world, into the kingdom of light or the kingdom of heaven. But here's the thing. If you read through the scriptures, here's what we're promised about our King Jesus. Uh, Not yet, but there is coming a time when he will return. The king will return. And when he returns, here's what the very last book of the Bible says, Revelation. It says, on that day, the kingdom of this earth or the kingdoms of this earth will become the kingdom of God and of the Son and they will reign forever. So there is coming a day when here we are in 2076 and any other postcode we may live in, where that place will be fully and completely the kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the sun. But here's what it means for now while we wait for the king's return. Our experience of living in the kingdom of heaven is not so much at the moment about living in a place, it's more about being under his rule. Does that make sense? There is coming a moment when we will live in the place that is the kingdom of the heavens. But right now we live, even now, while we live in this world... We live under his rule. And so what it means, if you are part of the kingdom of heaven, here's what you're saying. In my life, Jesus reigns. He's in charge. And we're saying of our church, in this church, Jesus reigns. And that reign is a spectacular reign. It's a sovereign reign. It means he's in charge. He sets the agenda. He, He sets the priorities. But more than that, it's a saving reign. Did you hear that picture in Colossians? It's a rescuing reign. He's taken us from where we were and put us into into his kingdom where we know forgiveness and redemption. And even more than that, it's a transforming reign. While we live under his reign, he is making us like him. 
And in fact, the Bible tells us when he appears, we will be like him. So what's it like now to live in the kingdom of heaven while we wait for his return? I wonder how you would answer that question. If you were to, uh, as you go about life this week, if someone was to ask you about your Christian life and you, and you said of that life, Jesus is king, that's, that's what my life is about, and they asked you to describe what that means, what it looks like for you, I reckon many of us, including myself, would want to say, oh, it's actually, it's very normal. It's very normal. I just go about normal life. I, I work and uh, we, we do the things we have to do, but it just has this sort of Christian overlay over the top, a sort of a Christian perspective on everything. That's, that's what living in the kingdom is about. Well, Jesus says something quite different in verse 44. Have a look with me. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Uh, it's an ancient picture, isn't it? It's, it's a picture before, uh, if you like, the cash economy, when cash was the currency and you'd use that to buy and sell things. Uh, before, well, no one uses cash anymore, do they? It's, it's, it's credit cards, not even credit cards anymore. It's, I've got this useless wallet uh, and no longer use it. My phone does everything for me. But this is going way back to the, to the point where people would use treasure of different forms, like gold and, and other things as, as currency. And and as for storing it, there's not the local Westpac or whatever. It's where you'd store it and hide it, where, where it would be safe. And in this case, it's in a field, hidden in a field. The problem with that, of course, is that there could be an unexpected twist of events, like the owner of that field dying, and somebody else stumbles on that field and that treasure, and now it's theirs. Jesus says to us, if you have come to him by faith, you are like a guy who has walked into a field and stumbled upon the treasure of a lifetime. And it is yours by an unexpected twist of events because the owner has died. Um, one of my favourite verses in the New Testament speaks of this change of ownership of this treasure this way. It says, for Christ died for sins, the righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous, that's us, to bring you to God, that's the treasure. The treasure is ours by this twist of events, completely unexpected to us and undeserved by us, but not unexpected to God. He planned this out and it cost him everything. It cost him his son's life. And do you know why he did it? Because we are his treasure. Uh, it says in Hebrews, we're the joy set before him. That's why he went to the cross. And so in his surrender to death on the cross and in his victory over death, in his resurrection, as we surrender to him, that gift, that treasure of being in his kingdom is, is ours. Remember the words we heard in Matthew 5 verse 3, yours is the kingdom of heaven, that's the treasure. And if we open the treasure, and we saw this in Matthew 5, what we find there is the, the old promise, the blessings of the old promise to Abraham, now paid in full by the king, and it's ours, all of it's ours. Do you remember some of the blessings we saw in, in Matthew 5? Uh, yours is the kingdom of heaven now. Yours is the promise of comfort. Your, yours is the promise that you will be fulfilled. You will see God's face. You are children in this kingdom. All of that is yours. All because of the mercy of the king who died that we might inherit this treasure as, as our own. So just for a moment, I want to imagine you to imagine uh, being that person, that man wandering in that field. I wonder if the image that comes into my mind, and I was going to play it, but I couldn't work out how to do it because I'm not very good with technology. But there's a moment in the movie, The Shawshank Redemption, where Morgan Freeman's character, Red, is wandering in a field. 
and uh, he's been told to go there because Andy Dufresne, one of the other characters, has hidden this treasure for him. And it's a brilliant moment because he goes to find the treasure. It's sort of it's, he feels a bit sneaky about it, like someone's going to catch him out and you see him dig and find this little box that shouldn't be there. Ima- imagine that moment where, 13 verse 44, you have stumbled into the field that God has prepared for you and there is the treasure. Not just the blessings that we heard in Matthew 5. Think about the things that are yours now because of this king. You are forgiven forever. Isn't that incredible? You now wear his righteousness as if it was your own. When the Father, God the Father looks at you, he sees his son and he delights in this. There's no condemnation for you in Christ. You can call God Father. In fact, you you have the audacity, you, you have the privilege of going before his throne with your petitions and he'll hear you because of this king. That's your treasure. You've been showered with the gifts of his spirit, gifts like peace and joy and self-control and hope and kindness. You have a king who by his mighty power, no matter what happens to you in this life, is working all things for your good. They're some of the blessings of this life, the treasures of the kingdom of heaven that are yours because of King Jesus. But here's the amazing bit. It's a bit like, uh, I don't see this as often in, um, on TV, but in the old ads, in the, in the 80s especially, the, the catchphrase was they'd, they'd tell you about the treasure that you could get if you bought this product and then, then would come this phrase, but wait, there's more. There's more and there is more, lots more. There are blessings yet to come when the king comes. When the kingdom of this earth is the kingdom of God and of the son he loves. And when he appears, you'll be like him. Uh, One of uh, the people that's been most encouragement to me over the last decade or so is a a faculty member of Westminster Seminary called David Powlinson, who uh, tragically has has died in the recent years of of cancer. So the things I'm about to quote from him, he's enjoying now. He described the blessings, the treasures that will be ours when the king returns or when we are called home. And he said this, someday you will be strong and healthy forever. No more decay or decline or damage, you'll be alive forever. Someday you will be fearless. You think about the fears that rattle around inside us, fears that we're not doing a good enough job at whatever we're doing, financial fears or fears that things are going to fall apart or fears about relationships. There's not going to be a whiff of fear in your soul. It is staggering to think of. No more wondering about anybody's opinion of you. No more fearful comparisons. You'll be like him. No more sorrow or grief or tears or the experience of loss that so shapes this world. No more death. No more disappointment. And then this, you will be forever, truly and deeply happy blessed no shadow of regret or shame or envy or bitterness your heart will be altogether glad in him because you'll be like him you will be a truly good person as jesus is good no stain inside us of greed or depravity or self-absorption or jealousy no more sin you'll be like him the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field no kidding Remember our study in Matthew 5, 1 to 10? Remember the impulse that comes into a heart when you see the treasure that you've stumbled on that you have no right to, but it's yours. It's joy. Rejoice and be glad, we were told by Jesus. But here's the thing. As we look at Matthew 13, 44, that joy leads to another impulse. Do you see it in verse 44? Let's read on in the verse. 
The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, and when a man found it, he hid it. And in his joy, he sold all he had and bought the field. There's the impulse. He sells everything and buys the field. Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is such a joyful treasure that it's worth losing everything else for. Do you believe that? I mean, how do you feel about that, that sort of black and white picture that, that Jesus gives? Perhaps we would want to say, you know what, this is just a parable, it's a story. Jesus is using hyperbole. It, it doesn't actually work like that. It, it's much more normal than that. That sort of radical response is the stuff maybe of youth. It's the stuff of people who have not much at stake, not much to give away. So it's easy to say that. Life isn't actually that black and white. It's grey and it's complex and it's intertwined with all sorts of commitments. I get that response. I feel that in my own heart. But Jesus' big point here is that the kingdom of heaven is not about half-half compromises or commitments. It's a life where everything has changed forever. But, and this is hard for us to get our head around or our heart around, that, that's hard, isn't it? Listen to this quote from C.S. Lewis. I think it captures it really well. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. And at first, perhaps, you, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof and, and so on. Uh, you knew those jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in ways that hurt abominably and don't seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. So what does life in the kingdom of heaven look like? What does wholehearted love for Jesus as king look like? Well, listen again to the words here of Jesus in verse 44. And as you do, here's a confession that... that uh, that I was thinking of during the week from your pastor. I worry about speaking on verses like this. Uh, I want you to like me. <laughs> I don't want to have uh, to stand outside of this challenge and have a judgy spirit before you. I, I don't want to elicit guilt from you. But I do want to be faithful to the word of the king. So let's hear him together, knowing he speaks for our good. The kingdom of heaven, says Jesus, is like a treasure hidden in the field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And in his joy, he sold all he had and he bought that field. What's that going to look like? Well, I hope you have time in your small groups to, to think through what it's going to look like in detail for you. But I think it means for each of us, it's a daily trade we have to make. Not once off, a daily trade. C carefully made, measured and considered, yes, but wholeheartedly pursued. And a pursuit over a lifetime. Uh, the writer Eugene Peterson describes it like this. It's a long obedience in the same direction. That's what it will look like. Uh, first, it, here's what it's going to mean. It, it's going to mean you each day have to move from planning a day where you will self-rule to having the rule of King Jesus set the tone. That's true. But here's the thing. I've been challenged as I've read through Matthew's Gospel and read through the Sermon on the Mount, as we're going to do in our small groups, by Jesus' words in, in Matthew 6. So if you've got the Bible open there, if you can move to 6 verse 19, what he says there is actually quite challenging because he says... It's not as simple coming to the kingdom of heaven as moving from I self-rule to now Jesus rules. 
Because what he does in those verses, 6, 19 to 24, is he shatters the myth of us before coming to Jesus ever being self-ruling. That's a myth. His words in 6, 19 onwards focus on our heart and he says this. Here's the thing about our hearts. They were actually made to serve things. That's the way they're wired up. They were made to serve whatever we treasure. Think about your heart right now. Think about your heart as you head into this week. How is your heart? Or or better, where is your heart? What is going to get your best thoughts this week? What worries are going to drive you? What ambitions or plans are going to be most critical to your current setup? Wherever your heart is as you think about that, that is your treasure. And whatever that treasure is, that is what you live to serve. Let's not be fooled by the myth of autonomy. All of us, at any given time, are serving something. But, you see what Jesus declares? uh, If you've got chapter 6 open there, verse 24, he says this. You can't do that for very long. You cannot serve both God as your treasure and and mammon, he says, which is like a catch-all for whatever else that we might treasure. Why can't we? I mean, doesn't life work that way? We have to juggle all sorts of things, all sorts of commitments. Life is complex. Why can't we do it? Well, because the king's call is not that. In his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought the field. So what's it going to mean for our hearts and our lives? The answer is all sorts of things in the details of our lives. Here's some examples. It will mean losing self-control. And I don't mean the gift, the fruit of the spirit self-control. I mean the idea that you start the day or the year thinking, this is how I'm going to plan it out. These are my priorities. That's over. He reigns now. He sets the tone. Here's another thing it will cost us. It'll cost us holding on to worldly convictions. There'll be all sorts of moments as we live in the kingdom of heaven in this world where the convictions and the priorities and and the, the principles of this world will be at odds with the principles of the king and we'll find ourselves having to let go of those principles. Sometimes that will be easy and sometimes it will be enormously difficult where we think, I know God says this, but I think, like my culture, this. Anytime we hang on to that, we're saying in this area of my life, whatever it is, Jesus is not king. My culture is. We're going to have to let go of that. Here's another one. Uh, We'll have to let go of worldly collateral. That's what Matthew 6 is all about. We'll have to let go of seeing the purpose of life being storing up worldly treasures. Because we see that moth and rust destroy them or thieves break in and steal. We won't worry about those things. And... Here's, I think, the most challenging one for us in the 21st century. You'll have to let go of the ambition to receive worldly confirmation. And it will get trickier the longer we go through this century. Wholehearted love for God and love for his ways and living with Jesus as king will make you more and more on the nose in this culture. I wonder if you've noticed the transition. Uh, Those of us who've been around for a while as Christians will have noticed this, I think. In the past, saying Jesus is my king and I'm a Christian was often met with, well, maybe indifference or neutrality. People going, that's fine for you. But now more and more, saying Jesus is my king and I follow his ways is, well, evil and wrong and to be silenced and cancelled. Are you up for that reception? But, and as we close, here's the key. The heart that is able to do this 
is a heart driven by joy. Do you see how that was the impulse that led to this? In his joy, it says in verse 44, the, the only heart able to leave things behind is a heart driven by joy, not a grimly determined heart or a, a guilt-ridden heart. That won't drive us to this. Only a heart rejoicing in the treasure that is ours. And so as we finish, I simply want to encourage you to do this. And, and being here together on a Sunday morning is part of this. And being in our small groups and your own time in God's word is part of this. Be in the habit of cultivating a joyful heart. How easy it is for our hearts to go off the boil, for us to listen to other things, for troubles to sap our joy or for worries or wealth to do it. In the, in the words of Jesus in the very last book of the Bible, as he speaks to the church in Ephesus who, who have lukewarm hearts towards him, he says this, repent, do the things you did at first. So let me ask, suggest the best thing you can do each day is to reset your heart to delight in God and his treasure for you. Don't ignore split affections in your heart. Don't kid yourself that that split is just because I'm in a busy season. That season will go for the decades to come. And before our hearts retort, you know, life is more nuanced than that, Jesus. Listen to him. Listen to him as he speaks about our hearts. He knows our hearts better than we do and he cares about our hearts more than we do. So watch your heart. Don't ignore it when it feels dry and joyless. Don't let it justify ongoing compromise. Don't think your heart can live on past joy and past health. And the way to do that, not just repent, here's the other thing. Did you hear it in the Philippians reading? The way to do it is to keep reckoning on the treasure. Keep considering it. Uh, be interested in the treasure. Get to know the treasure. That's why we're here together. To set our hearts. Uh, uh, Paul says in Philippians 3, he says, you know what? I consider these things lost because I've considered the treasure. He thinks about it. He's like the pearl merchant in the next couple of verses. Who He's an expert about pearls. He knows about pearls. He studies pearls. And so when he sees a, a valuable pearl, he goes, there it is. Do you know the treasure? Do you set your heart to know it better? Not with a casual commitment, but with a deep and committed delight. The more we do that, the more we will let the light shine. I'll, I'll pray for us in a minute, but here's another quote from C.S. Lewis that I think captures this well. We are being remade. That's what his gospel is doing in our lives, transforming us into the creatures he made us to be. Everything is being changed. And we shall find underneath it all a thing that we never imagined, a real man, a strong, a son of God, strong, radiant, wise, beautiful, and drenched with joy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the treasure that is ours by the mercy of the King. Teach our hearts to turn away from other treasures and back to you. Teach our hearts to reckon and consider and add up and delight in this treasure that died for it. Pray this. Well, let's stand together. And